Praise the Lord, everyone. Amen. It's good to be in the house of the Lord tonight. Amen. Praise God. It's good to see all of you. You're looking so good out there. Amen. Uh, a year ago, uh, a year ago, we couldn't have gotten this many people in this room at one time if we tried to. Uh, but it's so good to see all of you. And of course, our youth are downstairs, our youth staff. So what a great turnout for a Wednesday night. And uh, you may be seated. I'm going to ramble on for a while. So <clears throat> um, it's so good to see you. And I want to I do want to express gratitude for you being here. Uh, I know that um, there's any number of places you could be, and Wednesday nights is a little more challenging, particularly if you have kiddos in school and all that crazy stuff that, you know, just everywhere. And so I, I do want to say how much uh, the church benefits uh, just from everyone just showing up. Just showing up means a lot. And uh, it means a lot for you personally. Uh, you're blessed. It means a lot for your fellow worshipers. Um, your presence blesses them. And uh, it's just one of the ways that we can continue in spiritual momentum and feeling that progress, that motion forward as a church. So thank you. Thank you very much uh, for being here on a Wednesday night. Amen. Well, of course, we are grateful for our ongoing construction. Be in prayer about that. Things are going good. And we're uh, moving uh, along according to schedule. And the parking lot, of course, we think will be done uh, considerably sooner than the inside, for which we're thankful. And uh, so all of that, pray for the Lord's hand on all the workers, all of that good stuff. And uh, our goal is for most of this to be seamless for you. Uh, there will be some disruptions. We've got to do some demolition. Uh, I love demolition. We've got to do some demolition uh, in a few weeks, uh, so there may be some disruptions over on that side of the building and area, but otherwise, I want it to be seamless for you. I want you to be able to come in here and just worship the Lord, uh, and of course, uh, we all want to support it uh, financially, but other than that, I want you to just be able to come in here and worship, not worry about any of that, and uh, just uh, know that everything's moving along, and uh, you know, just watching it all is exciting, but... Uh, I know it's kind of behind the doors, you can't really see it, but hopefully stuff outside you can see that and uh, it'll look a little exciting. I did send an email yesterday, or this morning I think it was, to the church with a little bit of update, a few little pictures in there. And uh, if you have any questions about what's going on or what we're doing, uh, sometimes it's just easy for me to assume because I'm immersed in it. It's easy for me to assume that everybody knows what I know and of course uh, that may not necessarily be the case. So. If you have any questions at all about what we're doing, we try to communicate and keep uh, that before you, but uh, please feel free to reach out to our office. Reach out to me. More than happy to talk to you. Of course, you can reach out to our church board members if you know who they are, and they'll be happy to answer questions as well. Amen. I want to read from the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. I don't hear those pages, so somebody rattle them. <clears throat> Amen. If you can find the book of Psalms, you can find uh, pretty easily the book of Ecclesiastes. Just keep turning because after Psalms, of course, uh, most people can find Psalms and Proverbs. And then right after Proverbs is Ecclesiastes. Now, Ecclesiastes is an interesting book <clears throat> written by uh, King Solomon. Uh, who at the time of his life was the wisest man alive. Um, 
a king, of course, very wealthy, son of King David. So he's raised in, you know, he's the, he wasn't raised with the silver spoon in his mouth. It was a golden spoon. I mean, he's that kind of guy. Um, just kind of, you know, raised like that. Uh, Solomon is the one that uh, built the temple. His father collected the materials for it. He finished the beautiful temple. Um, and just, uh, just a, I mean, a very successful life. And you turn to Ecclesiastes, and you get an introduction in chapter 1, verse 1, the words of the preacher. That's what the word Ecclesiastes means. It's the preacher. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem. And then here's his first words. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Um, and then if you turn over to the end of the book, he goes on sort of like that, saying that in various ways. You get to chapter 12. You get to chapter 12 and go to the last two verses after he talks about life and wisdom and career and relationships and wealth and, and knowing and knowledge. Chapter 12, verse 13, he says this, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, keep His commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. That's a pretty good summary of how you ought to live your life. Amen. But let's zone in. Chapter 3. I want to speak on something uh, from Ecclesiastes tonight. Chapter 3. Beginning with verse 1, I want to read several verses. actually going to read eight verses. You can follow along with me. And if you've been around church for a while, you're very familiar with this passage. To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to gain and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. What Solomon is talking about here is the seasons of life. And I want to talk about living through the seasons of life tonight and uh, just sort of using this as a springboard. Life is organized, if it's in any structure at all, it's organized in seasons. And so our life is not just sort of this linear thing where, okay, we're, we're kids, we're adults, we finally get out of the house, right? We finally get our independence, and we think, okay, life is going to be smooth sailing from there. I'm going to enter into my dreams, I'm going to enter into adulthood, there's no more shackles on my feet, I'm going to just, you know, get rid of this, you know, bondage that I've been living in for 18 years, and uh, I'm going to step out into freedom, and that's my life. From there to the grave, that's me. Well, about 30 seconds later, you realize it doesn't work that way. 
Because life is not this linear thing that just is this big singular box that everything, you know, you're, you're a kid and then kaboom, you fall into adulthood and then it's all just kind of this monolithic thing that's all the same. It's not like that at all. In fact, our lives are organized in seasons. We move from one stage to another stage, from one era to another era. It's not constant. And so there's this ongoing change that is in our lives. And many times that change is on the outside. It has nothing to do with us. It's just the change of living and being alive in the world. It has to do with others around us. Relationships change, circumstances change, jobs change, health changes, churches change. Lots of things change around us. And so we live, our life is organized or disorganized in seasons. It's this accumulation of seasons. And so one season is tacked onto another season, it's tacked onto another season. And so you're always in a season, having been through a season, and always looking to go through another season. And so wherever you're at, you're not in this, this static existence. It's very dynamic. And so uh, if, you, if you don't like your experience now, hang on, it's going to change. If, if you are, if you are uh, really clinging to and loving your situation right now, hang on, it's going to change. Because that's the way life comes to us. It comes to us in seasons. Peter talked about seasons in the uh, first epistle of Peter chapter 1. He talked about even a, a season of temptation and heaviness. A temptation of a season of temptation and heaviness, of course, writing to a persecuted church. And he says this in chapter 1, verse 6, "...wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations." And so he says, this need-be season you're in, you didn't choose it, you didn't pick it, you, did, you didn't opt to go through it, but it was, you were, in essence, delivered to the season, and the season was delivered to you. And so he's encouraging them. The writer of Hebrews acknowledged that even the pleasure of sin can last for a season. There are all of these different seasons in our lives, and sometimes it's hard to discern actually where you're at. The Bible in Psalm 1, we may come back to that if we have time. The Bible in Psalm 1 talks about a fruitful season. The text that we read talks about so many seasons. And as we read through the text, even this text, as simple as it is and as familiar as we are with it, it can evoke so many feelings because as we read through that text, we recognize that our lives have been through those. We recognize that our lives have experienced those seasons. Now, it is extremely important, first of all, to recognize that we as individuals, we all go through seasons. But it's also important to recognize what season you're in. Because, for example, I mentioned the teenager, you know, moving out of the house. If you're a child or a teenager, you lack autonomy, but you also lack a lot of responsibility and resources. That's a season. Now, kids don't really think about this in these kind of terms, but we as adults do. But when you transition out of that season of being, you know, under, under the, the guidance and supervision of parents, 
You move on to another season. If you're a young family, for example, you can't expect to live your life the way your parents, who may be in their 50s or 60s, are living their life, who've had a whole lifetime of, of, of discipline and saving and working. You can't expect to just, you know, get married and six months later, you're driving, you know, driving what they're driving and living how they're living and doing what they're doing. You're in a different season of life. And if you don't understand what season you're in, you may try to live in some other season and then you get all tangled up and the wires get crossed and the voltage gets messed up and something bad happens. Having an understanding of the season of life that you're in. For example, if you're a senior, you can't live life like you're 20. Now, I know you want to. Now, I'm kind of leaning into your group, so I feel you right now. You know, sometimes stuff just hurts that, that it used to didn't hurt. And you think you're, you know, I used to hear folks say this. I'm like, what's wrong with these people? They're like, well, I still think I'm 20, but my body, well, I'm starting to experience that. There's this disconnect. And so in your mind, you think you know what you ought to do or want to do, but your body, you know, your mind's writing the check the body can't cash, and you wind up in some trouble. You really need to know what season you're in. Because if you don't, it doesn't mean you can't admire other seasons. It doesn't mean that you can't have great appreciation for other seasons. But you really need to recognize where it is at that you are situated now because there are no eject buttons. You can't get out of the season you're in by pushing a button. The only way to get out of the season you're in is to endure the season you're in. You have to live it out. And so you have to fully embrace whatever season you're in. You may not like the season. The season may not be a good season. It may not even be a healthy season. But the only way to get out of it is to embrace it and live out that season. That's the only way out. You know, there's, there are seasons of plenty in our lives and there's seasons of lean in our lives. Uh, we all go through those, and, and, and there are seasons where it seems like everything is just bountiful, and there are seasons where, you know, you can't rub two pennies together if you had to. There are those seasons, but not just financially. There are those seasons of abundance and plenty in other ways, and we live through those. There are, there are seasons of sickness. There are seasons of health. And if you're in a season of sickness, it can be very discouraging. There can be a lot of emotional weight that comes with that. It can even be depressing. But you can't fast forward out of that season. You have to adapt and adjust. This is my season right now. And if you're trying to live in another season, then you only are going to create frustration for the season that you're in. Seasons of our lives. You know, there are seasons of sacrifice. There are seasons where you, where you do things you otherwise couldn't do or wouldn't do, but you have to do it for a season. And this could be financially, of course, it could be in many other ways. You may have family circumstances, you might have to take a relative in, you might have to do some extra stuff, you might have to pick up a second job to help some other person. There's all kinds of ways you have to sacrifice. You may have to give of your time in a unique way. There are those seasons where we're called upon to sacrifice. And knowing that that's the season you're in, it prevents you from, from you know, just kind of losing a little bit of, of peace about the things you can't do and won't do, you have to realize, this is my season right now. This is where I'm zoned in on right now. This is what I'm doing right now. This is my season I'm sacrificing right now. And knowing that season brings focus and it brings the ability to endure to your life. There's also seasons of pruning. And nobody wants to go through that, do they? 
I mean, there, there are those seasons. You know, seasons sometimes are just life. They happen to us, and uh, they, they just happen. You know, it's just life. But then there are times, and Jesus told us this in the book of John, there are times where He prunes us. You know, we always blame hardship on the devil. But sometimes things that are uncomfortable come from the Lord. There are seasons of pruning in our life. There are also seasons where things are permitted in our lives that perhaps God didn't cause, but God then uses. And these seasons of pruning, no one is signing up for that. But it's a season you're going through. And it, at some point, you have to back up, no matter your season, periodically, and it's best in prayer, is to just sort of back up and evaluate, where am I? What's going on in my life? You may be in an extraordinarily joyous season. You may be in an extremely abundant season. Or you may be in a very difficult season. But periodically in prayer, just kind of pause and say, okay, what season am I in right now? Because recognizing the season that you're in helps you endure that season, but it also helps you prep and prepare for what's coming next. There will be another season in your life. You can also learn some serious and important lessons about the seasons in our lives. And sometimes seasons that we're in are seasons that we have caused. And so sometimes evaluating and reflecting back on what is going on now and what has preceded this, we can gain a significant amount of wisdom. Churches also go through seasons. The battery on my iPad is going through a season right now. Churches go through seasons. You know, one of the things that I tell uh, churches and pastors when I teach seminars, various places about church growth seminars, I'll, I'll tell them, look, church growth is not infinitely sustainable. Every church has a lid. Not only that, typically church growth is not this continual incline. You expand, you contract. You expand, you contract. And hopefully after a few of those cycles, you have a net gain, not a net loss. Well, we don't like to hear that. We want to hear just boom, from here to there, just always up, always blessing, always, you know, blessed finances, always blessed attendance, always people getting the Holy Ghost. Well, it doesn't always happen like that. Because churches also go through seasons. We have seasons of plenty. We have seasons of lean. We have seasons of struggle. We have seasons of, 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 of spiritual or institutional, uh, perhaps even sickness. We have seasons where, where we're thriving. We have seasons where we're struggling. We have seasons of pruning. And recognizing the season you're in. Because if you don't recognize the season, you wind up being frustrated a lot. If you don't recognize the season, you wind up fighting things you ought not be fighting. But if you recognize the season, you recognize that this is a season. And if I'll respond correctly in the season, this season's not going to last always. If I respond to it, if I'm in a winter season, for example, okay, I can't do anything about the winter season, but I can work on the soil a little bit. I can work on getting roots down. I can work on getting some nutrition. There are some things that I can do in that regard. And you know, it's the only thing that, the only thing that a farmer has control of is the condition of the soil. 
He has no control over when the sun rises, when the sun sets, when the rain comes, when winter comes, when summer comes, when spring comes. He has no control over the seasons. All he has control over is that ground. And all you have control over in your life is your ground, your earth, your inner person, your heart. It's all you have control over. You may not like the winter blast, but you can't control the winter blast. But what you can do is prepare the soil for when the sun comes back up. And if the soil is right when the sun comes back up, you're going to have a crop. But if you haven't prepared the soil, the sun's going to come up and all it's going to do is bake it dry and hard as clay and you're not going to have a crop. And so recognizing the seasons so we can appropriately respond to them and so that we can allow those things to work out in our life. I want to uh, have four or five, maybe six or seven, eight. I, I didn't count them. I have a few things I want to highlight on how we live through the seasons of life. And uh, just a few pointers. This is not exhaustive. There could be a lot more. Um, in preparing for tonight, I came up with these. And uh, this is a good start. Number one, don't, don't compromise in the night what God showed you in the light. Don't compromise in the night what God showed you in the light. Just because you're going through a hard time your testimony doesn't change. And just because you're going through a hard time, truth doesn't change. That doesn't mean you have all the answers. It doesn't mean life looks fair. It doesn't mean you got it figured out. Far from it, none of us do. But when you're going through a dark spell, don't start doubting what you know to be absolutely true. The things that got you where you are, the things that got you delivered from sin, the things that got you in a relationship with God, the things that have kept your family, the things that have kept you, just because you're going through a dark season does not mean those things are no longer true. And so when you're in the night, don't forget or abandon the things that you have learned in the light. They're still true and they still work. Now, the second thing, there's a corollary for that. Don't give up in the light what you fought for in the night. Don't give up in the light what you fought for in the night. Some of the greatest growth opportunities in our lives are when everything goes dark. And when we don't feel God, and when our finances are crumbling, and when our friends don't particularly like us, when the church is seemingly falling apart, all these crises in your career, all this stuff is turmoil. If you'll respond properly in the dark, you can win some battles and put down some deeper roots that you're not going to get in the light time. That's right. And quite honestly, I'm not nearly as concerned about believers who are struggling as I am about believers who are living in plenty and prosperity. Because when we struggle, we know we need God. And when we struggle, we're forced to pray. And when we struggle, we come to church. It's when everything is well. That's when I worry. But when we have struggled through the dark, and we have won some battles, and we have learned some things, and God has revealed some things to us, and we have conquered some devils, and we have overcome some things in our flesh. When things start going good, don't forget that. The same thing that got you out of the darkness is the same thing that's going to carry you even in the light. If you learn to pray then, you need to pray now. If you came to church then, you need to come to church now. 
Amen. And so whatever you fought for in the night, don't give that ground back when the lights come on. You keep learning how to pray and stretch and grow and keep letting God use you. Amen. It's like Job, you know, when stuff starts getting taken away from you, you'll start negotiating with God. Don't forget that. Don't forget that when the lights come on. Don't forget that when the spigot opens up. What you wrestled for, you hang on to it. You keep it. Because that's going to keep you and it's going to hold you. It's going to anchor you. Amen. Number three. If, if you are in a, a season that is in a down season, get up. If we all have seasons that are down because of something we have done or ways we have stumbled. Right? Now three of you are agreeing with me. We all wind up in circumstances because of choices we've made or things we've done. And I'm not talking necessarily about heaven or hell. Maybe it is. Maybe you've just, you know, just kicked the gates wide open. I don't know. But whatever the case may be, we've all made choices that have led to seasons in our lives. Everybody, anybody ever had a credit card you shouldn't have had? Well, so we're going to get real personal. We, 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 we all have made choices that have put us in seasons that we didn't want to be in. We, we've all been there. And sometimes getting up takes a while. But you got to keep trying to get up. You can't just lay there and wait for, you know, something to blow through or, you know, just, you, you got to start getting up. You got to start doing something. Sometimes, you know, sometimes getting out of debt takes a while. And you, it doesn't feel like $20 a month will get you there, but $20 a month is better than $0 a month. You know, sometimes in improving a marriage takes a while, a long while. And you got to be committed to that. You, you can't just, you know, have this on again and off again sort of approach. Well, when things are, you know, nuclear, well, okay, we'll call the pastor or go to counselor. No, no, you got to have this committed, sustained commitment to this thing because it takes a while. So if you're falling down, you got to get up. you got to take some action. You gotta, if you're going to get out of some of those seasons in life, you've got to take the initiative to discipline yourself, to do the hard work, to get up and get out of the season that you're in. Getting physically fit takes a while. Getting emotionally fit takes a while. Getting spiritually fit takes a while. But you've got to start getting up. So if you're in a down season, you need to, you need to get up. You know, you have to own your own season. You have to own that. Because even if you're in a season that's not fair, it's your season. Even if you're in a season where you can point back to this happened to me, this happened to me, this person and that person and this sickness and this, that and this. Okay, fine. Maybe it's not fair. But you can die on the mountain of arguing fairness. Or you can start getting up. And so you've got to own your season. And your season's not the same as somebody else's season. Even though they may look the same. You are you and your circumstances are yours and your season's yours. You can't worry about someone else's. You've got to get up in your season, in your mess, in your circumstances. You've got to start getting up and start walking and make some progress. You've got to make some progress. 
You have to own your season. You know, the farmer has to plow. The farmer can sit in his house all day. It's wintertime. It's like, well, you know, I'm just going to sit here and wait for my crop to grow. Springtime comes. I'm just going to sit here and wait for my crop to go. Summertime comes. I'm going to wait for my crop to go. Fall, he has no harvest. Why? He didn't do his part. You got to get out of the house, get in the field, break up the ground. You got to do some work. And sometimes, you know, it, it's easy to sit and wait while well, I'm waiting for something. You know, we're having a revival. By the way, Pentecost Sunday, June the 5th, be here. You know, but, you know we're going to have great service and God's going to do something. Maybe. He's probably not going to do what we're supposed to do. You know what miracles are? Miracles are when God does what we can't do. But God doesn't do what we can do. And that's why you don't have to pray. You don't have to pray. You don't have to pray about what kind of toothpaste to buy. He doesn't care. Now, I, I hate to break that to you, that there's something God doesn't care about in your life. And, you know, some people are like, you know, God's micromanaging their life. You know, this and that and that and my schedule. Oh, I got a notification on my phone. The Lord's speaking to me. No, he's not. He's not. That trivializes the divine. It trivializes the almighty. We're created in his image. That means we have a brain. We have rationality. We have creativity. We have the ability to organize our lives. In other words, God has delegated a great part of our lives to us. That's why we need to be spirit-led. We're not spirit-paralyzed. Spirit I'm going to sit here until the spirit does something. We're spirit-led, spirit-enabled. That means we get with it, and as we get with it, God leads us and guides us. And so we can't just wait. Now, we do need miracles. I'm not saying that. Absolutely, you've got to have some miracles to get out of some of these things. But even when you need a miracle, you can't just sit on the floor cross-legged and say, we're just waiting, you know, thumb, waiting on something's going to happen. Well, what's going to happen is you're going to get tired and hungry. I don't know. Probably nothing's going to happen. You've got to own your season. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean you can fast-forward your season. But it does mean you can get up and start making progress. Own your season. Sometimes that simply means praying when there are no ways out. Sometimes that simply does mean trusting God when there are no ways out. Own your season. Next point, number four. Number four, seasons are long many times. We don't always have control over them. And our lives are... Uh, you know, in hindsight, things make more sense, don't they? I mean, it doesn't mean we like them still, but in hindsight, it's like, oh, yeah, I see that. But when you're going through it, you don't have the perspective of hindsight. All you have is like this, this swamp in front of you. And there's alligators. And there's mosquitoes. And there's water moccasins. And that's all you see. It's only when you get through it and have the experience and see how you were able to conquer it and how God was there with you and how there might have been you know, something part of that that you didn't understand going in that you didn't... That hindsight means a lot more. However, when you're in it, when you're in it, it's a whole different ballgame. And so, number four is simply this. 
You've got to wait on the Lord sometimes. You can't get impatient with God. God works when God works. God is not this, you know, sort of genie in a bottle that we summons whenever we want him. It's like, I need this now. It doesn't work that way. The way it really works is if we're living for God the way we should be, all of this stuff is conforming us to His will. We're not conforming Him to our will. And so there are times where you're in a season and you just have to wait on God. Now, you might say, well, that sounds contrary to everything you said. No. When I'm saying wait on God, I'm saying you keep having faith in God. You keep trusting God. You keep worshiping. You keep honoring Him with your, with your life and with your finances and with your commitments and your consecration and your church. In other words, you don't walk away from God. You wait on God. It's like you keep doing what God wants you to do, waiting for Him to give direction and guidance. I want to read from the Psalm, Psalm chapter 24, the 27th Psalm. The 27th Psalm Two verses, verse 13. I would have lost heart. Has that been your testimony? That's what's so real about the Psalms. The psalmist said, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He said, none of this made sense, and I would have just totally lost it if I didn't believe I was going to eventually see the goodness of God, not in heaven someday, but in the land of the living. In other words, there, there's part of your faith that has to remain strong. And then he says this, verse 14, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage. And he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Hallelujah. Said I would have fainted in all this stuff, but I just kept waiting on God. I kept believing. Believe when belief doesn't make sense. Believing God's going to show up when there's no evidence God is going to show up. Believing that God is just when there's no evidence of justice in your life. Believing that God is merciful when we don't deserve it. Believing that God is still God no matter what's going on. Wait on God. Psalm 37. Psalm 37 beginning with verse 32. The wicked watches the righteous and seeks to slay him. The Lord will not leave him, that is the righteous, in his, that is the wicked's, hand, nor condemn him when he is judged. 34. Wait on the Lord. Now here's what waiting looks like. And keep his way. And he shall exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you shall see it. And so he's saying, even when the wicked are after the righteous, wait on God. Wait on God. Wait on God. In other words, my faith is not shaken because people are crazy around me. My faith is not shaken because the world's gone nuts. My faith is not shaken because people around me are doing dumb stuff. God is still God, and I'm going to wait on God. Wait on God. 
Beautiful words from the psalmist. He says, wait on the Lord and keep His way. Isaiah chapter 8. Isaiah is a few books over, keeps flipping. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, keep going that direction. Isaiah chapter 8. And verse 17. And I will wait on the Lord who hides his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Now, God's not happy here. He's hiding his face from them. And Isaiah still says, I'm going to wait on him. Because he isn't always going to be that way. Now, I don't know if you've ever felt this way. You ever felt like God turned his face from you? Ever felt like he was hiding from you? Isaiah said, when he does that, you wait on him. You don't get to run away. You have to wait on him. It's a season. It's going to pass. His anger's not forever. It's not for always. And even when you can't find him or see him, and when heaven's like brass above you and you can't touch him, you wait on him. He's still there. Isaiah chapter 40. This is a passage most churchgoers are familiar with. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. <laughs> you know what that tells me? They're exhausted. Yeah, we always jump to the end of this story. Those that wait on the Lord, what does it say? They'll renew their strength. They mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. But from the beginning, they're out of breath. Those that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. That means they used it all up. That means they're just sort of a heap there on the floor. But you wait on Him. You wait on God and God puts strength back in you. You wait on God and God renews your visions and your purposes and your callings and God breathes fresh life back into you. you got to wait on Him. You can't run off and get ahead of Him. You wait on Him. Those that wait on the Lord, they, they renew their strength. They get that second breath, that second wind. They mount up with wings like eagles. That means they didn't have them before. In other words, when you wait on God, God has ways of supernaturally transporting you. He has ways of supernaturally working in your life. He has ways of infusing you with things that you otherwise wouldn't have. And if you walk away from God or you walk away from His will, you just don't have access to this. That's why the Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. Because if you live as a transgressor, you miss this. Who's going to give you strength then? Whose wings of eagles are you going to borrow then? How are you going to run then and not get weary? How are you going to walk then and not be faint? If you are living as a transgressor, you've walked away from your energy source. But those that wait on the Lord. I don't know when and I don't know how, but I'm going to renew my strength. I don't know, what, I don't know how long this season is going to last, but I know if I wait on God, there's going to be a renewal coming to me. Hallelujah. Wait. On the Lord. Lamentations, beautiful book. The book of Lamentations by the prophet Jeremiah. And Jeremiah, he's uh, telling them that God's going to send Babylon to carry them all the way captive and all the false prophets are saying no. 
And Jeremiah is saying, yes. And they keep calling him in to prophesy, and he says, you're getting carried away. And the message doesn't change. That's what the book of Jeremiah is about. You have sinned, and there's this whole class of false prophets. And Jeremiah is the only one saying, you need to just not fight. You need to give up. This is your plight. Go. This is what's going to happen. You're going to be carried away into captivity. Lamentations is uh, a sequel, if you will, to Jeremiah that is a little more detailed about the actual events and how that's unfolding. And it's, uh, this is why Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet, because of the horribleness that is in Lamentations as he is watching and observing all of these things happening. Lamentations 3 and 25 says this, now that you know the context and the story, Jeremiah is in the midst of this totally destroyed city and everything is going south. Actually, it's going east, but... The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Wow. What powerful words. From a man that's watched his city totally destroyed and people carried away, the Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. Wait on the Lord. The fifth thing that I want to point out for <clears throat> living through the seasons of life, my fifth point is simply this, be content. Be content. Now, pretty much everything in our society tells us not to be content, doesn't it? Yep, it sure does. <clears throat> if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 6. First Timothy 6, and I'll begin with verse 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Word great, by the way, is mega in Greek. Godliness and contentment is mega gain. Now, this is kind of puzzling sometimes. Evidently, you can have a degree of godliness and not be content. That's church folks. Evidently, you can be content. This is the guy living off the grid. And not be godly. But if you really want gain in life, you mix those two together. Godliness and contentment is great gain. Verse 7. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having... Oh, verse 8. I don't... And having food and clothing, having food and clothes, having food and clothes, be content. Now, how often are we discontented about things other than food and clothes? Go on, verse 9. 
But those who desire to be rich will fall into the temptation and a snare and into many foolish and a harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness, pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now, what this does not say, what this does not say in verse 9 is that um, the rich fall into temptation and a snare. What it says is those that desire to be rich. Now let me ask you, don't answer this out loud. I actually did this in a Sunday school class one time. I, I, I had all the people in the room, I told them, take out a piece of paper and write down on that piece of paper how much money you would need to make in a year to be rich. Well, as you can imagine, the numbers were all over the place. Had people in the room writing down numbers that other people in the room were already making, and obviously, no one considers themselves rich, right? I mean, we're not rich. The point is, the person that seeks to be rich never gets there. And that's what the billionaire race is all about. The point here is in verse 10, the love of money. The pursuit of it. There's no end to that. There's no end to getting rich. There's no end to that. And the point that Paul is making to Timothy here is to have the godliness and contentment. And if you don't find a place of contentment, your seasons are going to drive you mad. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't causes and effects in our life. It doesn't mean that there's not good economic policies that you can employ in your family. It doesn't mean that there's not stewardship principles of money. There are does not mean that if you don't work hard, you don't reap the fruit of that. You do. That's not to minimize any of that. The point is, is that life is going to hit you in seasons. Life is going to hit you in seasons. And if you're not content, if you don't learn contentment, it's easy in those seasons to feel like things are uh, owed to you. It's easy to feel entitled. It's easy to feel bitter. It's easy to feel burned. And if you don't re- uh, uh, be careful, and this doesn't matter what your income level is. This is in, in, unrelated to that. But when you go through some of those seasons, if you're not content, those seasons will cause you to peer over the wall of your season into someone else's season. And And if you're not careful, then envy starts to settle in and jealousy starts to settle in and entitlement starts to settle in because you're not dealing with your season. You're worried about somebody else's season. And so one of the ways to get through the season you're in is contentment. Contentment is a great great way to get through a season of being blessed as well. Because if you don't learn contentment at some point, you're going to squander the blessings of God and you're going to wind up in the same place no matter what season you're in. Contentment. And it's not just financial, though. It's not just financial. If you're in a season and you got to get out of that season, you're going to have to learn to be content with the things you have. You have a family. You have a church. You have giftings. You have a career. You have an education. You are you. You're not her, him, or somebody else. Learning to be content with what God has packaged in your life. Learning to be content. It's not just about money. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, beginning with uh, verse 11. Philippians 4, 11. Paul, of course, writing from a jail. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in, in whatever state I am in to be content. 
And he's writing this from a jail. He's not in his luxury corner office. He's in a jail cell. And he says, I've learned wherever I'm at to be content there. Now, verse 12, he goes on and says, I know how to be abased. And I know how to abound. So he wasn't always poor and pressed down and in jail and in prison. I know how to be low and I know how to be high. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and I've learned to be hungry. Literally for Paul, hunger. Both to abound and to suffer need. And then there's that well-known verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, that's not a football player's passage. Maybe a better understanding of it is I can endure all things through Christ who strengthens me. In other words, whatever season, he's in a jail cell, whatever season I'm going through, I've learned to be contented and I can do all things. I can endure all seasons through Christ who strengthens me. What does it say? It says that when we are contented with, with where we are, that in those low seasons, Christ can still strengthen us. And the strength of Christ doesn't always equal deliverance. The strength of Christ does not always equal deliverance. Sometimes it's strength to endure the season. It probably wasn't this incarceration, but there was a time where Paul did not leave the jail. God strengthened him to the end, but he did not leave. Hebrews chapter 13, a few pages over in your Bibles. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Let your conduct be without covetousness. That's inordinate desire for things. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Now, each of these is a Bible study, but in verse 5, it's beautiful because he said, don't, don't be covetous, be content with what you had, for God has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. What he's saying is that no matter how your stuff fluctuates, God is still with you. Don't equate the presence of God with the quantity of your stuff. He's saying don't be covetous, be content, because God has said he'll never leave you. What that's saying is that no matter, no matter the season I'm in, God is still with me. Therefore, my joy, what he says in, in, in verse 6, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear what, man, what can man do to me. When I'm in that season of lean, my joy is not coming from this stuff down here. My joy and my fulfillment is coming from the truth that he doesn't leave me or forsake me. Even though I'm empty, God is still with me. And it separates the material from the spiritual. Just because I don't have that doesn't mean I don't have God. And I can live without that if I have God. But I can't live with that if I don't have God. He's saying, so be content with what you have because God's going to be with you in it no matter how much or how you have or you don't have. Finally, finally, number six thing that you can do in your season, no matter what your season is, be thankful. You can be content kind of begrudgingly. 
tacos again tonight. <laughs> we, we, you know, we leave church, you know, particularly back when we had Sunday night service and Wednesday night. You know, by the time we get out of here, it's late and all that's fine. That's what we do. You know, we leave late, you know, it's like, you're hungry. Yeah, I'm hungry. I don't know. What's open? I don't know. You know, drive through roses, you know, get tired of them. You know, at some point, you're like grumbling like the children of Israel in the wilderness. Like, I'm tired of tacos. Well, those tacos, you know. The, the ones at the gas station right here are really good. So if you ever need a taco, that little trailer, that red trailer, be thankful. You know, going through life without a sense of entitlement, but with a sense of everything I am and have and ever hope to be is because of God. Thankfulness, thankfulness acknowledges the other because if you're thankful, there's an object of that. There's someone, something that you're thankful to. So if I'm thankful, I'm looking beyond self and I'm saying whatever I have or don't have, it, it's, it, that's inconsequential. I'm thankful. In other words, I'm dependent on something else. Now listen to a passage of Scripture, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. In everything, give thanks. Boy, don't feel good. <laughs> In everything, give thanks. Wow, that's powerful. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You know, everybody's always going to know, what's the will of God? What's the will of God? What's the will of God? Well, were you thankful today? Let's start there. Be thankful. Because if you're not thankful, then like, like some of the other things we talk about, if you're not thankful, then you start feeling entitled. You start griping a lot, moaning a lot. I need this. I don't have that. Why did this happen? Why this? And you get, you get totally disori disoriented. But a thankful life is a life that is oriented properly to God. Listen to this last verse in closing, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, one of my favorite passages from Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me <laughs> was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Paul's being compared here to some of these, what's referred to here in, in the Greek particularly as super apostles. There were these kind of miracle worker guys traveling through town and these guys calling themselves apostles and all that. And some of the Corinthians were chasing after them. And so there's a few times in both 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians where Paul says, okay, you want to compare resumes? Let's talk about who's an apostle and who's not an apostle. Anyway, that's kind of what's going on in some of these Corinthian writings. But Paul here dials it all back and says, I am what I am, whatever that is, by the grace of God. What an attitude of thankfulness. Whatever's manifested here for the good is because of the grace of God. And then he goes on, and this is so, so poignant for people that really want to be used by God, and his grace towards me was not in vain. I realized what I had, and I worked harder than all them. In other words, when God gave me the treasure of his grace... I realized I had an obligation to it. And I poured everything, heart, mind, soul, spirit. I poured my whole life into what God was doing in my life. But ultimately, it's His grace. Praise God. Why don't we stand and close in prayer? I'm glad I came to church tonight. Amen. I'm glad I can come and feel the presence of the Lord tonight. Why don't we just lift a voice of thankfulness to Him right now. Lord, we thank You for Your grace. Thank you for what you've done in our lives. We thank you for your blessings. Thank you for working in us and through us. 
God, I pray that, Lord, that you would be with everyone in this room, those that are watching online. No doubt there are people in all kinds of seasons. But, Lord, your grace is able to walk us through it. Your grace is able to strengthen us. You're able to take us up on, on wings like an eagle. You're able to give us the power and the strength to persevere and to overcome. Pray that you would be with us. We give you all the praise in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 We'll greet someone in the name of the Lord. Not before. We'll see you on Sunday. God bless you.